Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew continues on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, Fasting or Feasting. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Now, here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Holy God, we come before you, our sinful people saved by your grace. We come before you as humble worshippers to worship you in spirit and in truth. We come before you as needy people, knowing that you will meet our every need. Therefore, O God, have mercy upon us. Forgive all our sins. Help us, O Lord, to worship you and praise you. Bless your people today. As I am preaching, may your people be healed, saved, blessed, strengthened, encouraged as they open their hearts in faith to receive your word which is spirit and which is life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I said, you are going to receive blessing as I speak. In the beginning you are going to be blessed. In the middle you are going to be blessed. At the end you are going to be blessed. Because you have come to a God who blesses his people. Have you ever wondered why God did not answer your prayers? It's good to ask that question. The truth is God does not answer the prayers of the wicked. You say we are not wicked. Well you just wait. Let's see what the scripture says about God's people. I want to speak to you today about the blessings that will come to true worshippers. The prayer of a righteous man, the Bible says, is powerful and effectual. The psalmist says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, you would not have heard in Isaiah chapter 58, the chapter from which I am speaking this morning, God through the prophets provides the reason why he had not answered the prayers of his people. God the cardionostes, the heart knower, the heart searcher, rejects the prayer of a disobedient son, an unloving husband, or one who rejects the godly counsel of a pastor. In Isaiah 58, the prophet diagnoses and exposes the evil motivations of the worship of God's people. He calls their worship transgression and sin. Verses 1 through 7. What they offered as worship in the sight of God was only a pile of evil. A holy God can never accept the worship of self-willed and unbelieving Cain. God the righteous one favorably responds only to acceptable holy worship. God's diagnosis of the problem, God's righteous demands, and God's delights in terms of his blessings. So first is God's diagnosis of our heart problem. 
Isaiah is to shout aloud. Verse 1. Shout aloud. That's what I do all the time. You want me to mumble? You want me to be nice? You want me to be apologetic? You want me to be defensive? No, the command is to shout aloud at the top of his voice. That's the way it is in the Hebrew. He is to raise his voice like a shofar, the ram's horn, the trumpet. The shofar, the ram's horn trumpet, was the primary device God used to gain the attention of the entire community of God's people. In Exodus 19 verse 19, at Sinai when God visited his people, we read the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Its piercing blast was a sign for the community to stop all other activity and pay total attention to God. Fathers, when you speak, do children stop all their activity and listen to you and pay attention to you? If not, you are not functioning as an agent of God. God speaks through you and you demand that those under your government should stop everything. Now listen and respond because God is speaking. The prophet is not to be timid and defensive and apologetic. He is an agent of God. He cries out. He exercises divine authority. He's a spokesperson for God. And God doesn't apologize. And God is not timid. God doesn't negotiate. God declares. He is to make his appeal as powerful and stirring as possible. He is not to speak pleasant things. Or smooth things. To please people. A preacher is to please God only by declaring his message. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. They say to the seers, that is to the prophets, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what? What is right? And there are people sitting right here who would say this. Don't tell me what is right. Don't preach to me from the Bible. Tell us pleasant things. That is fornication is all right. Homosexuality is all right. Lesbianism is all right. Immorality is all right. Moral relativism is all right. Divorce is all right. Serial marriage is all right. Lying is all right. Cheating is all right. Violation of God's moral law is all right. We are postmodernists. We create our own reality. We don't believe in any objective truth. Tell us pleasant things, prophesy what? Illusions. Leave this way. Get off this path. And stop 
confronting us with truth that is with God's revelation with God's message stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel turn to Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 31 the prophet prophesies lies there are prophets throughout this world and especially among evangelicals they claim to believe the scriptures but they only speak pleasant things I'll speak later on on that the prophet prophesies lies the priests rule by their own authority and my people love it so they like it the church is filled to overflowing with people they like it because they are never confronted with the truth of the Holy One of Israel and my people love in this way but what will you do in the end and go home and read Jeremiah 6 or I will read it to you 6 verse 14 that they dress the wound of my people their mortal wound they dress these evangelical preachers who are dumb dogs who are watchmen who are blind they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious peace peace they say when there is no peace the prophet is to declare to my people look at the beginning of this chapter to my people their rebellion and their sins today most preachers are captives to their congregations they are hirelings they preach for a little money they are the spokesmen for the people not spokesmen for God they are to please them by speaking pleasant things they are to tell them stories they are to entertain them how can such dumb preachers speak in behalf of a holy God their rebellion and their sins let's read about these dumb preachers Isaiah 56 beginning with verse 9 come all you beasts of the field come and devour all you beasts of the prophets that is come and pour judgment upon dumb preachers and their people Israel's watchmen are what blind look at the irony <laughs> watchmen is supposed to have 2020 vision but these are what blind they all lack knowledge they are all mute dogs they cannot bark they lie around and dream they love to sleep they are dogs with mighty appetites when they get two more dollars they leave the church to go someplace else <laughs> and they would say God told me no 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 God didn't tell you that you got two more dollars because of your appetite they are shepherds who like understanding they all turn to their own way they each seeks his own what gain come each one cries let me get wine let us drink our fill of beer and tomorrow will be like today or even far better Israel's watchmen are blind and Israel's watchmen today the vast majority of them are blind they are mute dogs they are supposed to bark but they don't they cannot they are lazy they are hedonistic they are materialists they are shepherds who lack knowledge 
and so they cannot feed the flock of God. They are lazy, they cannot study the Bible. So they mix it up with little emotion. Prophet! Isaiah, tell these people their worship, their fasting is unacceptable. Yes, I see. They deny themselves a little food. They bow down their heads to the ground. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They get an A for their externalism. They seek me daily. They are very assiduous, very devoted and very committed. Yet their fasting and prayer, their worship is sheer paganism. Now let me tell you something about paganism. I spoke before, but let me tell you what it is. Pagans worship their bowels through orgiastic rituals, through sacrificing of their children, through cutting themselves with swords and spears until blood flowed. Through these ritual acts, they put their gods under pressure to bless them with the temporal blessings of fertility of the land and animals and families. Pressure. This is what these people did with their little fasting. This is what televangelists tell you, send me money and God will give you money. Hundredfold, thousandfold, whatever you want. My people are doing the same with their ritual of fasting. They treat God like a Coke machine. I wrote an article long ago about this. They put their coins in the slot. The machine must deliver a can of Coke or two or three, doesn't matter. If not, they kick the machine for failure. Even so, they fasted. Now God is put under pressure to perform, pay. I came to church, I gave, put, put some money in the thing, I did all these things, where is God? Pressure him, and maybe he will come down to help you. But the truth is, the true and living God, the eternal God, almighty God, all-wise God, creator, redeemer, sovereign king, God, will not be pressured and manipulated by human beings. Stand wise here. 57 and verse 15 for this is what the high and lofty one says the transcendent God the holy other God he who lives forever whose name is holy I live in a high and holy place but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly to revive the heart of the contrite this holy God does not regard one's outward appearance. He searches our hearts, our motivations. He knows them. He looks at our motivations. He sees our righteousness and piety as mere filthy rags. The people are complaining. We did fast, and how come God didn't answer? Look at verse 3. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it. That means you have not given me money, gold, silver, power, health. Come on now. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And then God tells the real thing. You keep reading, you'll understand. 
turn with me to Malachi, the last book, and you see the same idea in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 14. This is an ever-present problem in the churches. Manipulating God, pressuring God, our little outward piety, and forcing God (laughs) to bless us. Malachi 3.14 You have said it is futile to serve God. Hmm. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? It's useless. He hasn't noticed it. He hasn't acted in blessing for me. Well, the answer is found if you turn to chapter 59. You take a look at it. How come God didn't hear our prayers? How come he didn't answer our prayers in spite of all our pretensions of religiosity surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear see God is able to do it God is able to hear prayers and bless you but he says it's not your problem isn't that something we are always finding fault with the God and everybody else we don't want to point the finger at ourselves if only I can have a recording machine in your homes <laughs> secretly put in <laughs> and collect them all <laughs> and begin to listen to it and you begin to see reality is different maybe a video camera it gets the picture the facial expressions and these other <laughs> things it will be all different notice but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he what will not hear. So God says through Isaiah, in reality, these people are not worshipping. They are sinning in God's presence through their worship. St. Paul tells the same thing in First Corinthians 11 verse 17. These people come together for the worst they come together to do what they pleased you read the text they did not please God the truth is God rejects all hypocrisy you see God required only fasting once a year this is all God authorized fasting once a year they were to humble themselves truly on the day of judgment they should be repentant they should be broken hearted they should be lowly in spirit they should weep for their sins and turn to God and his atonement for their forgiveness. They were to do it on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. Yet these people fasted without truly humbling themselves before God daily. <laughs> without forsaking sins before God. You see, like we were told in chapter 55, verse 7, let the wicked what? Forsake his way, the unrighteous man, his thoughts... Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will freely pardon on the basis of the conditions stated therein. Or turn to Isaiah chapter 29 and let me read to you verse 13. The Lord says these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men and so on. Externalism. Ritualism. God detests ritualism without a humble believing heart. 
Jesus Christ himself condemned hypocrisy in Matthew 23. Seven times in that chapter he calls these people hypocrites. Verse 13, 15, 23, 25, 27, 28, 29. Hypocrites! The self-righteous Pharisee fasted not just one time a year. Luke 18 tells, I fast what? Twice a week. Boy, that's 104 times a year. He had a pile of self-righteousness to impress God. But God hates externalism, heartless worship for divine manipulation. Quickly, let's turn to the book of Amos, if you can find it, and chapter 5. Let me read from verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. (laughs) I will not listen to the music of your harps. Now comes the real thing. Verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river. The righteousness like a never failing stream. These people were wicked. They did not practice righteousness in social relations. And you can go home and read Hosea 4 verse 6. So through Isaiah God reveals the folly of all formal religion. So Isaiah Isaiah, tell these wicked people what they are doing on their fast day. When they are worshipping, they are doing something else. And here is a list of things. They do what they please. They are materialists. In other words, they are doing their business to make money on the day of their fasts. Number two, they exploit and oppress their workers. Number three, they quarrel. You see, when you don't eat... A meal, what happens? You get all edgy and irritable and you take it out. <laughs> they quarrel. They, they accuse people falsely. And not only that, they strike people with their fists right after their worship and their fasting and their singing and their praying. It ends with hitting each other. I literally witnessed to such fight at the end of services. By adult people in the church hitting each other. And not only that, these people spoke maliciously of their brothers. You read it, it's all in there. These people profess to love me, yet they hate their brothers. They exploit them. They put heavy yoke on them, like Pharaoh of Egypt. They treat their brothers like animals. Their only purpose is to acquire more money through the social exploitation of their own brothers. But let me tell you, no man can love God and at the same time oppress God's people for selfish gain. True love of God always reveals itself in the love and care for the community of God's people. That's the way it is. You husband, don't come and tell me you love God, but you don't love your wife. Because such profession convicts yourself of your sin. Jesus said, the first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, the second is like unto it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The essence of it all is to love God and love your brothers. Love your neighbors. And turn with me to uh, the book of John. Let's see what John is saying. Chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you, love your neighbor. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. You see, the, the biggest hindrance for true evangelism is false practice of Christianity by those who call themselves Christians. True piety has social consequences. It is not just a personal matter. They say religion is a personal matter. Yeah, it is personal, but it has social consequences. You cannot love God and hate your wife. You cannot love God and hate your parents. You cannot love God and hate your fellow believers. You cannot love God and hate even your enemies. Your love for God must manifest itself in the loving service to the community. I and Jesus. This is the slogan of today. I and Jesus. I and Jesus spirituality. There is no such spirituality in the Bible. I am Jesus. Such pretended spirituality is seen by God for what it is. Transgression and sins. Second, the demands of this God. The demand of God. Loosen chains of social oppression. Untie the cords of the yoke of oppression. Set free the oppressed. And let my people go. This is always God's plan. He gives you freedom. Let my people go. From Pharaoh. From Satan. From sin. From guilt. Let my people go. Not go their own way. But go and follow God. Not only that. More than that. Break every yoke. Not just untie and loosen. But what? Break it. Destroy. Structures that are designed to oppress people. Because people are not animals. When you treat. The history of slavery and all that. You notice how. They treated human beings as animals. I say yoke is for animals. As Christians. In other words we must strive. For the elimination of all oppression. Do you know slavery is practiced today. Especially by the Muslims. And the United Nations say nothing about it. We must do everything to oppose slavery. Racism. Oppression of the poor. Killing of the unborn and infants. Oppressive taxation. Especially for the poor. Taking of people's homes by the government. We heard about eminent domain. They can come and take your home. And oppress you. And you cannot say anything. And in Israel you cannot do that. There is no such eminent domain. Molesting of children. By the trusted and powerful authorities. Neglect of children. By parents. Who are pleasure loving. Neglect of the weak and the elderly. Oppression. Neglect of the weak and elderly. Not paying equal pay for equal task. There is racism and discrimination everywhere in this society and in every society. 
beautiful people get a job, ugly people don't get a job. And when you ask, what's the reason? Well, this person looked beautiful, the other person not. That's all there is to it. It's oppression. Offensive, uh, oppressive interest rates, especially for the poor people. And oppressive taxation. And I say we must work for the elimination of all structural social injustice. Because God desires freedom for his people who are created in his image and likeness. And beyond that, you read Isaiah 58, beyond that, opposing all social structures of injustice, beyond that we are told, you, with your own money, feed the hungry. Personal involvement with the needs of people. House the homeless. It says, you go home and read it. Verse 7, clothe the naked with your own money, you see, your own money, personal involvement. And not only that, to provide for your own flesh and blood. And you read 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, Matthew 15 verse 5 and following that speaks about you have a responsibility to care for your own flesh and blood who are in need. And next, Devote one whole day out of seven to do God's pleasure. Sabbath keeping is a mark of covenant faithfulness. On that day, we stop our work to remind ourselves that God is our creator, that God is our redeemer king, that God alone supplies our every need. So we stop it all to listen to him, to look to him. To hear him, to worship him. Sabbath reminds ourselves of what really matters in the final analysis. Sabbath keeping is a symbol of life devoted to God. It is the real test of heart religion. A true Christian discovers, verse 14, he discovers that Sabbath is, in Hebrew the word is oneg, used in Hitpael simply means you will discover, you will find Sabbath as exquisite, inexpressible, ultimate joy in your life if you are a true lover of God. If Sabbath is boring to us and if it is a pain in our head, if it is a migraine headache for you, And for me, it is because we are wicked. We don't love what we ought to love. The righteous relishes the Sabbath day. So God demands practice of justice, isn't it? Social relationship. And so I said, (laughs) but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. Justice is living by the standard of God in social relationship. I have experienced the reality of seminary professors, I told you, teaching the gospel to students and practicing extreme wickedness toward God's people. I have seen pastors preaching the gospel and practicing extreme wickedness. I have seen believers who claim to be believers practicing extreme wickedness. Social relations, justice, Love one another. And you go go home and read one chapter, Job 31. There he bases 
he describes his life as a life in which he cared for people. Suppose you didn't care for your brother and you just came to worship, you know, it doesn't matter, you see. God wouldn't notice any of these things, you know. <laughs> well, somebody sneaked in like that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. <laughs> that means you did something to him. So he's against you. <laughs> what do you do? Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. This is social justice, relational life. And then you come and start worshipping and God will bless you. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. Then God's spirit was poured out on, on the first church. And see what they did. Did they care for their brothers? Chapter 2 of the book of Acts verse 44. That's all I, I read now. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Turn to chapter 4, verse 32 of the book of Acts. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with the rest of the people. That's what happens when God's Holy Spirit comes upon you. You care for people. Or turn to the, the brother of our Lord Jesus, James chapter 1, and he Let's find out what he says. James chapter 1 verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts. You see, God doesn't have to accept your religion, your worship. But he does accept certain worship. Religion that our God accepts. As pure and faultless is this. What is it? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That is being a slave to materialism. God will not answer the prayers of those who are not socially involved in the needs of the people of God. Number three, there is the description of divine blessings. And I have a number of it, so you have to really listen to it. If you want to be blessed, wake up. You know, I'm going to tell you something. That if we fulfill the demands, if then, if then. Look at verse 8. Then. If then. If you do these things, then. Look at the order. If then. If you accept the diagnosis, if you embrace the demands... And then these things will follow. And I'll tell you a few things. Turn to the book, Isaiah 58. And look at verse 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. All right. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Well, let's turn to chapter 60. Let's look at verse 1. And then verse 3, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 3, Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. This is speaking about light of salvation. Light of help, light of deliverance will erect and break forth suddenly, speedily. The delay is not with God. It is because of our sin. But when people love God and do God's word, there will be sudden and speedy coming of the brightness of His light, like the dawn. 
No more delay. Hallelujah. Let's praise God. Light of life. Light of joy. Hallelujah. Number two. We are told in verse 8. It says, and your healing will, what? Come on. Quickly appear. Quickly. There is an emphasis on speed. Quickly appear. The Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. I am the Lord that healeth thee. In the Hebrew, it means new skin will come over and cover the old wound, doctors. That's what it means. I'm telling you, it's speaking about restoration, speaking about spiritual healing, psychological healing, mental healing, relational healing, inner healing, outer healing, physical healing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let's praise the Lord, you see. <laughs> All kinds of healings and restorations. If then... Let's turn to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 8 and verse 22. Is there no bomb in Gilead? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is there is. There is. But you didn't seek that. The answer is there is a lot of medicine in Gilead. There is a cross from which the blood of Christ flows as never-ending stream sufficient and efficient for your complete healing is there no bomb in Gilead is there no physician there the answer is there is bomb and there is a physician who is our physician the Lord Jesus Christ is the physician hallelujah for the whole world and look at Jeremiah 30 and verse 17 Jeremiah 30 and verse 17 Come on, brothers, if you need healing, if you need light, listen to me. And I said, you are receiving all this from the beginning of my preaching. It is coming in the middle of it. And it's coming to you. Hallelujah. If you believe. Uh, verse 17 of Isaiah 30. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord speaking to you. I will restore your health and heal your wounds. Number three, complete security. Complete security due to God's immanence. God's coming with you. God's dwelling with you. As in the day of Exodus, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud went before them and went behind them. Hallelujah. They were enveloped by this presence of God, giving them complete and total security from all alarms. When we practice righteousness, the righteousness of God will be our vanguard. And the glorious presence of God will be our rear guard. We are totally secure in our fellowship with God. The holy God will dwell with the broken hearted to revive us. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Isaiah 52 and verse 12. Very quickly, you see. Wake up. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight. For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be what? Your rear God. And this is what is stated here. As pilgrims to the celestial city, we move on daily with total confidence. For God himself is with us and he will bring us to our heavenly home. Number four. <laughs> Did you say he was very slow to answer your prayer? But let's look at verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. And he will say what? Here I am. (laughs) 
You will come and he says, here I am, behold me, see me, that's the way in Hebrew. Hey, did you call me? He's right there, did you call me? What can I do for you? That's the idea. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. <laughs> I remember Samuel said, speak Lord, your servant heareth. Now God becomes our servant, divine servant. <laughs> Hallelujah! Did you call me, sir? <laughs> Hallelujah! What can I do for you? Oh, God delights in serving us and answering our prayers and coming to our aid. Look at your kid crying in the room. What do you do? You run. Hallelujah, you run. If this is the case, how much more our Heavenly Father will speed and come to our aid. Here I am. Hmm. Glory, that's what it is. Let's look at Isaiah 65 and verse... uh, 24. Isaiah 65 and verse 24. And here, here's something amazing. What does it say? Before you call, I will answer. While you are speaking, I will hear. Isn't that wonderful? Before you call, while you are calling, (laughs) after you are calling, He is right there. He's our Heavenly Father. He's not callous. Let's turn to Isaiah 30. And let me read from verse 19. Isaiah 30 from 19. Listen to it. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep what? No more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears what? He will answer you. Let's praise God for this tremendous blessing of answering our prayers. Number five. Light. Verse 10 it says your light will rise. Then your light will rise in darkness, and your night will become the noonday. <laughs> as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, as we are puzzled and overwhelmed by problems of life, suddenly there rises light. There is an answer to our problems. That is the idea. That's, uh, you see, there is a solution to our problems. Number six, verse 11. There is continuous guidance. The Lord will guide you intermittently. Tell me. Always. This is overwhelming and amazing and exceedingly abundant grace of God poured out for his righteous people. Continuous guidance. Christian life is following Christ. Follow me, he said. He promises to guide us each step of the way. If we follow him strictly, we fail to have guidance. Only when in rebellion we turn to the right or to the left doing our own thing. Isn't that some of you are doing this morning? You know the right way. But you say, I don't want to go the right way. And no wonder there is no light, there is no healing, there is confusion, there is deep darkness. And it will be your Lord for years to come. Unless you repent today and turn to Christ. Psalm 23 verse 3. The good shepherd he leads us where? In the way of righteousness for his name's sake. And Romans 8 verse 14 says. As many as are being led by the spirit of God. They are and they alone are the sons of God. The sons of God receive continuous ongoing guidance. We need guidance, isn't that true? Number seven is uh, in verse 11. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Not only he leads, but he feeds. He feeds also in impossible wasteland where there is nothing. 
That's God's commitment to you. Look at manna in the wilderness. Look at water from the flinty rock. He gives us daily bread. He taught us to pray for daily bread. And he feeds us spiritually with his word and physically with bread. It is Jesus Christ who said bread is for whom? For God's children. Look at Elijah. He was fed by God through ravens. Every day, morning and evening, meat and what? Bread. <laughs> and, and then a widow gave him bread and water. Then you find an angel coming to him. Freshly baked bread and fresh cool water. Hallelujah. <laughs> and then we see Jesus in John 21 verse 9. <laughs> the disciples said, come and eat. And what did he have? Freshly Fish on live coals and freshly baked bread for his people. Supernaturally produced. He feeds you. In they say there is no job anymore here. <laughs> he will have a job for you. You see God has bread for you. There's nothing here. No, no. Even in wasteland. He will open the windows of heaven. Hallelujah. Are you uh, getting blessed? Hmm? Number eight, you know, very quickly. He will strengthen your bones. That's what it says frame. Actually, literally, it means bones. Verse 11, the latter part of 11. And let's turn to the book of Psalms. And let me tell you, when you sin, you have problem with your bones. That is, with your body. Uh, Psalm 32. Take a look at it quickly. Because I am speaking about your body. Verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones what? Wasted away. He's speaking about his health. The deterioration of his health because he was sinning. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. And the same language you find in Psalm 51 verse 8. Sin saps our strength. Righteousness rejuvenates us, refreshes us, reinvigorates us, energizes us. Try it. And St. Paul says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You will be invigorated and energized by our God who cannot lie. That's a diagnosis. You must accept it. The demand, you must fulfill it. And, and the blessings are yours. At the end of verse 14, there's a signature. Do you see that? Only three times you find that signature in the prophecy of Isaiah. Did you see that signature? It says what? For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You can count on it. It's not empty talk, idle talk. God has spoken for you. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless your people as they, by faith, believe in the word proclaimed. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the continuing series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more of these life-changing sermons.